Now that the Bitcoin spot ETFs are approved, it seems that people don't care anymore. We need a new narrative. What's going to send Bitcoin up to all time highs? We're like goldfish. Nobody can keep their attention for more than 30 seconds. So what's going to take us to a new all time high? Well, of course, we still have the having coming up and plenty of other narratives with the election, the macro cycle, and of course, the entire next cycle of real world assets and all the things that are coming to crypto. But more than anything, I like to just have Bruce Fenton on and complain about the government. So I have a feeling that we're going to do a lot of that as well. One of my favorite guests, guys, as you know, here and on Crypto Town Hall. You do not want to miss this one. Let's go. Let's go. What's up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, also known as the Wolf of All Streets. Before we get started, please subscribe to the channel and hit that like button. I'm going to just bring on Bruce. I don't really have anything else to say here at the intro. I want to talk about the fact that uh, your guy suspended his campaign. You were a huge fan of Vivek Ramaswamy, obviously one of his main supporters. You worked with the campaign, obviously, in New Hampshire. You ran for Senate in New Hampshire. I mean, I'm not sure we thought he would win, but it's just depressing to be back at Biden-Trump, in my humble opinion. Sorry to do politics right now, though, guys. I just got to start here really quick and get it out of the way. No, it's a shame. You know, I have a track record of picking uh, the people that that don't get the majority. You know, I have a lot of candidates that I like, the Ron Paul-type candidates. And I, I'm, a, I'm a true believer. I'm an optimist. So I seeing Vivek firsthand, seeing how he wins over people, I really hoped that he would be able to pull off a miracle. But, you know, the, the odds were stacked against him from the get go. But hey, he got out there. He just like, you know, my race. I, I'm really glad I did it. I'm sure he's glad he did it. He leveled up his already formidable skills and he made a national name for himself and he changed the debate. So what more can we hope for? Right. But he was the only candidate who had any sort of clear vision for what to do with crypto in the country. So that, that's yeah. sort of the pivot that I want to make. Obviously, we're kind of floating out at sea right now with no direction as far as what this industry can and can't do, what products they can and can't have, what's a security, what's not a security. Whether we agreed with his plan or not, he had one. Now we're back to the two old guys who hate us. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he did have a clear plan, not just for crypto, but for America. And he had a lot of substance. And it's unfortunate with both the lead candidates, you know, Biden and Trump. I mean, it just seems like such a depressing repeat of a bad chapter in American history. I don't think anybody likes either of these folks. And it's it's a real shame. And and also the crypto policy. We have more of this meddling, wandering nothingness that has lack of clarity and, and the government is just failing to do what its job is. And its job is to protect the citizens. So they're not doing that. And then they pile on all of these regulations that don't protect citizens. Well, let's talk about uh, one of the things that's happening from our government. And that is, of course, the anti-crypto army of our best friend, collectively, Elizabeth Warren. You guys may have seen that recently she sent a letter in December to Coinbase and other bunch of other institutions, to the Blockchain Association, to Coin Center, all harping on the narrative that crypto was only used for funding terrorists and Hamas and North Korea. She made some outrageous claims and she actually asked Coin Center specifically to comment on what ex-regulators, legislators, lawyers from the government had come to work with them as lobbyists, basically making the claim that if you go to work for the crypto industry after the government, that you're corrupt. 
She said, uh, I believe this abuse of the revolving door is appalling, revealing that the crypto industry is spending millions to give itself a veneer of legitimacy while fighting tooth and nail to stonewall common sense rules designed to restrict the use of crypto for terror financing, rules that could cut into crypto company profits. Last time I checked, Gary Gensler is from Goldman Sachs. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny, and I'm glad Coin Center responded that it's none of her business. But it's particularly funny for Elizabeth Warren to be talking about a revolving door when she prior to the the Biden administration, she held the world record for the most money given to bankers by any politician. She was TARP administrator, and she supported giving eight hundred billion dollars of taxpayer money to bankers. And at the time, I think four out of the previous five Treasury secretaries had all been heads of Goldman Sachs. So, you know, she's really one to talk about revolving door. Right. I mean, this is literally how things get done in the banking industry. I, do Does she think we're all just completely stupid and don't understand? I mean, who else is the crypto industry supposed to hire? I don't even know, by the way, how many of these employees they have at Coin Center. Right. I don't. I bet you it's not many. They they declined to many. answer, but the, you know she's used to her world where people get you know seven eight hundred thousand dollar salaries for sitting around being you know fellows at think tanks. That's not the way Coin Center works. From what I know about them, they don't have that kind of budget. I would be shocked if they're paying six figure salaries to some kind of you know former regulators or something. They probably have a couple advisors, but the the you know the good thing is they were they declined to answer. It's none of her business anyway. But she should look at her own industry. She should look at the defense industry if she's really concerned, which obviously she isn't. Yeah, it, it just blows my mind when we know that now I will say that uh, even after the SEC or after CFTC, all of these guys go on to work somewhere on Wall Street or even in the crypto industry. I mean, that is correct. I just don't see why she would single them out. I mean, Brian Brooks obviously went to Binance for like, I mean, he lasted like one Scaramoochie, right? And then he he saw what was going on there and he ran. <laughs> I love using Scaramoochie as a unit of time. But um. It just seems so utterly hypocritical to me. I, I just, I can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, she's just grasping at straws. The letter was really pathetic. You know, it's like she's angry at Coin Center. Well, Coin Center is about as clean as an organization as you can get. You know, whether you agree with their policies or not, th there's nothing nefarious about Coin Center. You know, they're a pr pretty small and effective organization. You can, they're transparent. I mean, it's just absurd. She's just trying to grasp straws. And if she could accuse them of dealing drugs or supporting uh, terrorism, I'm sure she would have. She'll say it anyways, eventually, if yeah. this narrative <laughs> runs out. But uh, I want to talk about the botched launch of these Bitcoin spot ETFs by the SEC. I know, obviously, you're a critic of the regulator. Uh, Vivek's campaign was going to get rid of the regulator if he ever got in there, right? I think there's a lot of people who think that we should abolish the SEC. But the fake tweet, the market manipulation, the never approving them before. So we ended up with 11 at the same time competing and just basically destroying their own products in a fee war. I mean, this couldn't have been more of a train wreck for a good news approval, which I do view it as good news. It's just, there's not a single thing they did right in the process. Yeah, it really just drives home the incompetence, you know, and we were celebrating kind of like the way people celebrate when a state allows uh, marijuana 
dispensaries. They're like, yay, everybody, you know, there's big parades and stuff like that. And we were the online version of that. But it's really, I always felt those are kind of sad because you're you're cheering for something that should have never been illegal in the first place. There never should have been, the Winklevoss brothers should have had an ETF in 2013 or 14. We never should have had this. And this idea that they were protecting the government, you know, protecting the people from this horrible, uh, you know, 40,000 percent increase in Bitcoin. You know, when, when that ETF came uh, was first proposed, I think Bitcoin was at 500 bucks or something. So they didn't protect anybody. They hurt a lot of people. And in, in exchange for what? A bunch of bureaucracy. You know, there, there's this idea that they push forward the regulators like, well, it's a big pain in the neck and it hurts a lot of business and it's terrible and it's anti uh, good economics and it's anti freedom. But at least we save you from fraud. But the truth is, it's all those horrible things, but they don't save us from fraud. They actually are instrumental in facilitating fraud a lot. They make things worse and they don't really help anything. So in this situation, you just had a long, long delay, millions of dollars, lots of drained productivity, lots of jobs that never were, lots of people that would have gotten exposure that never did. And in exchange for what? In exchange for nothing but incompetence. It's it's a typical, what, what is useful about it is it's a very good illustration of what government is all about and why these people shouldn't be regulating any of this stuff in the first place. The whole entire premise of it is flawed. There are quite a few narratives now that we have the Bitcoin spot ETF about how this could be terrible for Bitcoin, right? I mean, in general, I view this as a massive positive. I don't really uh, go down the rabbit hole too far, but there's an article and there, there there's some fair points here. Now I've got to pull it up over here to, to list off the three things. Basically, they said the three unexpected risks are that there's a single point of failure. The most obvious concern noticed by many prominent crypto individuals is that all the Bitcoins backing the ETF shares will be held by only a handful of assigned custodians, a new type of double spending attack. Another potential concern can be the so-called financialization of Bitcoin or the transfer of practices from traditional finance into the Bitcoin economy. We become one of them, you know. And number three is obviously the governance wars. If they control uh, enough of the Bitcoin that potentially they could, you know, fork it or yep. have some uh, major impact on the protocol. Do any of those scare you? Because I think all of us would have just rather had this ETF, like you said, in 13 and 14, and I doubt we'd be talking about this. We would have just been psyched. Yeah, they they don't scare me, but those are great. It's a great list, and I agree with all of those things. I, I agree with that. I think it's inevitable that there's going to be a Fink fork, you know, a uh, a Larry Fink uh, BlackRock fork. We've seen this before. It's inevitable that these powerful Hollywood, or <laughs> I call them Hollywood, these powerful Wall Street players, uh, same, same kind of thing, right? <laughs> establishment, establishment. But these powerful st establishment players. Uh, it's inevitable that they're going to want to exert power. That's the way they're used to doing things. That's the way they think things work. And that's the way things work in Wall Street. So uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all if there's a fork, P possibly something like a fork that's based on uh, more government controls like, oh, OK, let's let's put identity tracking in here. And that's going to be kind of establishment fork. But History also shows us that the other fork would would survive, you know, and then there's fractional reserve and other issues like that that we see in the traditional system. I think that's a re that's a realistic uh, concern as well. And then the centralization, too. It is it is a problem so far. Coinbase, for example, has been very, very good. But I believe they're custodian on the majority of these ETFs. There's only a couple yeah. other custodians. So that's bad. You know, we don't we don't want that. That's a liability for Coinbase. You know, I think they have to just triple down on their 
their security. But hopefully this this thing, this centralization issue, hopefully it'll kind of reach peak around now. You know, there's an incentive for other custodians to come along. And now that these things are approved and trading, it's significantly easier for them to go to the regulators and change their custodian or something. So I do like uh, that Fidelity is their own custodian. I think that's interesting, at least for diversifying some of this risk. And we know that Fidelity has been here from the very beginning. So they're kind of the right ones. But I mean, to your point, I trust Coinbase. I think they're probably the best in the business, but you and I have discussed it. Like we saw what happened with prime trust. We saw what happened with fortress. I mean, these companies have one job and they often blow it. It's not yeah. really like a, you know, it's not a hundred percent certainty that uh, these companies or custodians are not going to lose keys or funds. It's, it's a bit scary. Like you said, to have them sort of all in one place, even if it ends up being the best place. It is very scary and it's very complex. And if you put yourself in a position of of one of those top executives, you know, that would be a, an interesting thing to do on a spaces or a roundtable, say, uh, get 10 experts and say, OK, if you're the CEO of one of these companies, how exactly do you do the custody? It's not a trivial thing. I mean, we're way beyond like, oh, let's let's go and, and get our, our hardware wallet and put our 12 words in a you know, on a little sticky pad right here or something like that. You know, when you're dealing with this, if you have you know, this kind of money uh, and this kind of asset, which people aren't really used to, you really got to put a lot of effort. And the, and the danger with that comes more complexity and more chances that some kind of hole is going to be, uh, uh, you know, found in the in the systems that you use. So it's, it's not trivial. I mean, the good news is it can be done. You know, there's a lot of crazy, very, very uh, mission critical things that are done in technology and even the military and aviation and banking and things like that. They deal with physical security, but it is, uh, it's definitely non-trivial. And, and unfortunately, like you said, we've seen some mistakes on this before. So, uh, I, you know, I'm certainly cautious of it. I'm assuming that they'd at least be covered this time if it's in the ETF structure by somebody. The big old government will come in and bail them out if uh, something goes wrong in this case, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, there, there, that is the trade-off when you go more TradFi. There is more of those kind of controls. There's there's SIPC insurance. There's different various insurance. And those may or may not cover depending on the situation. But it, when the more regulated it is, the more eyes there are. And and I don't know if government would bail it out or anything, But and maybe that's a bad thing. But uh, it is one of the trade-offs, theoretically, that you have. All right, now I got to ask you about Vanguard. You're an RIA. You operate in this space. We have the approval of the spot ETF. I this is the new uh, logo for Vanguard. If you haven't seen it, it's their sinking <laughs> ship. It's really, really good. Um, what do you make of them outright dismissing allowing their clients to do this at all? They haven't even said that we're going to look at it and make a decision down the road. I do think that that is somewhat pragmatic for some of the other big players who say, listen, we're stepping back. We're going to analyze it. Let's see which one of the 11 we want to offer to clients, something like that. But they've just said, no, it doesn't fit and got rid of Bitto, which they were already offering. You're an RIA. What do you think of this? Yeah, it's just crazy. It's it's such a weird vibe. Like It's the same vibe that these... Uh, you know, I, I picture them as as losers, basically. But, you know, these loser tech employees who are sitting somewhere, somehow there's somebody sitting at home right now, waking up, drinking their latte, you know, looking at our social media posts and deciding if if Scott and Bruce will be allowed to, you know, say what they want to say today. You know, and, and I just think that that vibe is just so weird. It's like, who on earth do you think you are? It's none of your business. It's who on earth's ever said that social media companies should be deciding what people say. You know, let adults do what they want. And the same thing 
it's the same vibe for Vanguard. It's just this big, goofy establishment player. Who on earth asked you? Your job is to serve your clients. What, what on earth do you care what they buy? It's none of your business what they buy. And if you think it's a bad idea, explain it why, why you think it's a bad idea. Educate them. That, that's what firms are supposed to do. They're supposed to provide educational materials. But the fact is they can't because they don't really even know anything about the asset. So it's not only a sign of this weird controlling authoritarian nanny but vibe that you see so much in social media and tech and everything else in government but it's just it's just fundamentally wrong they don't understand the asset they haven't done their homework and uh, it shows to me i mean the positive thing is that it shows we're early i we, we get in our bubble and we kind of assume everybody knows this narrative but yeah there are a lot of people in my old career you know the, the trad five folks who just don't know anything about this they don't know that there's a 21 million coin cap they don't even really know that fidelity and blackrock are involved they don't know that they don't know who michael saylor is they they certainly don't know his narrative they've never really thought about what money is or what fiat is or why this makes sense and they just kind of lumber along through with these really goofy ideas and and it gets to a point where you're not really knowing what is going on in the world and you're not knowing what's true and i and i they've missed out on the best asset class we you know you and i have seen a lot of people whose lives have been changed and they're not doing the right service for their for their customers because they didn't have exposure to this asset and they're they're really missing the boat you, you made the point that most people still don't know. We got the approval for us. It was this huge news event, but I'm going to imagine 95% of America maybe saw mention of it in passing, didn't read the article and went on with their lives. What's the process like as an RIA? You can actually speak from experience now to getting to that place where people are educated and start to be interested, right? We know people talk to their RIA once, like every six months or something, right? And so it's not like they called them the day it got approved and say, hey, right. man, which one of these do you want? So mm -hmm. like, what's the timeline here? What can we expect as far as starting to see meaningful inflows from these people who don't understand or have no interest? How long is that going to take? Well, the good news is that this is one, the, the ETF launch represents one of the greatest educational initiatives in our space, or the greatest by far in terms of money and reach. You know, we started with the early educators, Hal Finney, and then it went to Andreas and Roger Veer, and and now we have Sailor and Ross Stevens. And so the the caliber of the education educators and the reach that they've had has increased. But this is the this is a new level. So the what what's called wholesalers, employees of these fund companies will go and meet the RAAs. They're like the super salespeople. The RAAs are selling to their clients, but the wholesalers are selling to the registered investment advisors. So there's going to be a lot of re outreach by these fund companies. Not all of them, not all of them do this model, but but several of them will be reaching out to these independent advisors, independent wealth managers, brokers, trying to get them to understand this product and give an allocation to their customers. So the good news with that is that you're going to have people, especially professional wealth managers and advisors who haven't been exposed to this narrative, who hasn't really thought about uh, fiat and money and what money is. And they're going to have, you know, professionally produced educational materials and brochures and PowerPoints that are all compliance approved. And there's people who get on that bandwagon hopefully I, I i you know i think a lot i certainly did when i first heard about it but that was a long time ago but i think that it just makes sense you know there's there's some narrative that makes sense like the peter schiff narrative of of uh, you know he talks a lot about the fed and gold you know he, his narrative was known by a lot of advisors He's right about years. everything except for the bitcoin part yeah, yeah. There, and there's advisors who know and, and appreciate that model 
Yeah, I, he he totally gets all the reasons we need Bitcoin. He just doesn't get Bitcoin. But being 99% of the way there, I think yeah. that people can listen to the message and choose the asset that they want to protect themselves from that narrative. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they'll also just the idea of doing the right thing for your customers, you know, having some allocation to this, just a small allocation as a hedge against the rest of the crazy fiat world. It just makes sense. So I think as people will get that, that you're going to, and also the nature of money with the ETFs, it's not likely that you're going to see some huge $2 billion inflow. If somebody has $2 billion, they'll do what Sailor did and buy the coins directly. What you're more likely to see is just little by little, each individual advisor that gets kind of onboarded by a wholesaler, then they go and call their customers. And they're not going to call their customers the same day. They may call the next day. There's very few people, even the professional advisors, were not sitting there like, yay. A lot of them don't even know about this. They're just kind of hearing about it now. It's sort of, it's not big news for them. It's going to trickle in over the next days and weeks and months. And they'll say, oh, interesting. I do have that ETF. And then next time a client calls and says they want Bitcoin exposure rather than what they had to say six months ago, which was sorry. Now they can say, oh yeah, I, I don't agree with that. I think that nerd money's stupid, but rather than lose you as a customer, I'll go ahead and put you in this thing and, and monitor it for you. So I, I think you'll just see, I don't want to say a trickling because we don't know how much it's going to be, but I, I, it, might be a, it might be a big faucet you know, and it'll depend on the market factors and a lot of other things. But I think you're just going to see allocations continuing every, every single day. I think there's going to be new Bitcoiners who get exposure through these vehicles and they're going to keep it and hold it. Yeah, and I think a lot of people still have a negative stigma towards or opinion towards Bitcoin, but the smartest ones, I always talk about the idea of strong opinions loosely held. Yeah. Even the biggest Bitcoiners we have, Sailor included, you can see his early tweets about Bitcoin dismissing it, right? Dalio, I mean, literally all of these guys, you know, uh, yeah. Paul Tudor Jones, none of them liked it at the beginning. They were all presented with new information. They finally got it and then they stayed and remained orange pilled. That's also yeah. the case, apparently, for Larry Fink. How it started yeah. versus how it's going. This is, uh, let's look, 2017, BlackRock CEO Larry Fink calls Bitcoin an index of money laundering. Now, BlackRock's Larry Fink says Bitcoin ETFs are just the first step in the technological revolution of finance. This guy's out, as I keep talking about, on a roadshow. Crypto is a flight to safety, a flight to quality, talking about the tokenization of all things. This is a superior product, talking about the importance of Bitcoin as digital gold. Okay, so the optimistic side of me says he, he got orange-pilled. He got mm -hmm. it. The pessimistic side says he's you know pu pushing the narrative that's going to make him a lot of money, and I don't care. He's out there, and he's <laughs> the most powerful person we could have doing this. This guy's like sailor on steroids if you uh, like for impact. Yeah. You can't yeah. get a bigger name. Jamie Dimon maybe could flip uh, and, and come along for the ride. That won't happen, but these are the – this is it. Larry Fink's yeah. the biggest name in finance. Well, there's a, there's Mohammed bin Salman. <laughs> Didn't he come around a little bit too? No, a little yeah, bit. Well, yo, yes, yes, yeah, I know that no, he's but, friends but with a lot right. of people in the industry. <laughs> yeah, Fink is is a, it, like it, the level, and you know, I I've been saying this since ever ever since I got into Bitcoin. You know, in the early days, people used to talk about Jamie Dimon, and they they you know in 2014, 15, they say, oh, he's afraid of Coinbase. I say Jamie Dimon is not afraid of Coinbase. I said, well, you know, once it hits 10 billion, he can just buy it. And now, of course, it's past ten billion, and you didn't buy it. But they're they're not afraid, and it it, it you have to understand the the like you said, it's a hundred sailors, or more than a hundred sailors. The power that Fink has, people that are seven eight levels down from him, who manage more money than anybody in our space. You know that that like 
it's just it's really hard for people outside of finance to conceive of just how large and influential and it's not just the the amount of money which is really really significant it's the type of money and it's the type of you know they can do underwritings they can buy stuff they can finance countries they can really 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 move mountains and i'm not i'm not sure if he's totally um orange pilled and and also to that point you know blackrock's so huge this isn't even that big of a deal that's what makes me think he's orange pilled because yeah what does he care about i mean fractional i mean even no matter how big this gets it's going to be a drop in the bucket yeah yeah even if they if the etf had 25 billion today that's he's not sitting there like yes i've made my career that would be like oh cool that's nice it's it's like it's like bob Iger at disney they say oh this this one streaming show uh, mandalorian did well oh okay cool you know it's not they've got the theme parks and everything else that's the way blackrock is they're really 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 huge uh, but clearly they these are smart folks they they're they're hearing the narrative they may maybe not you know becoming uh ancap libertarians and going to pork fast talking about uh, audit the fed but they're on that path and they do seem to understand the 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 value proposition of bitcoin and that's a very 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 big deal and i will say it can't be coincidence that every time gary gensler really does something negative against the industry or gets the spotlight in any way shape or form it's like within 24 hours larry's out there just flipping the narrative it right? is I mean, the, these, this was all this industry was dead gary gensler was suing coinbase and finance back to back and out of nowhere here comes larry fink with the bitcoin spot etf we finally get the etf approval Gensler goes on TV and says, this is not an endorsement of Bitcoin. I still think this is all garbage. I got forced by the courts. And a day later, Larry Fink's on TV saying, the Ethereum spot ETF is coming next, which had to just <laughs> like literally give Gary like something about Mary Hives, you know? I mean, just... <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. There's not much they can do, you know, at the end of the day. And, and one of the things that is uh discouraging is this all this talk that we have about gensler and we we spend so much time talking about warren and gensler and it reminds me of an ayn rand novel you know where we just talk about people you know what do they say small people talk about people uh you know it's better to talk about big ideas and and in our early days that's all we talked about was ideas and these days unfortunately it seems like you know all we talk about is people because we have these tyrants who have reached out for more control however at the end of the day this is a free country and it does have capitalism and it does have an economy and the business leaders matter and people like you and me and especially Larry Fink do matter and they do have influence because it's our economy at the end of the day. He represents tens and tens and tens of millions of customers. So for these regulators to say, oh, no, no, we're we're protecting you. It's like, well, how do you know? Fidelity handles more customers than than the, you know any regulator will ever meet in their in their lifetime. So that's the better judge of what the people want. Let the people vote with their wallets. If they want to buy something, let them buy it. This idea that you need to protect them is just fundamentally flawed. And I think that's a little bit of a, of a smack back because this is Larry Fink's industry, just like it's my industry and your industry. You know, we, we want our country to succeed and we want to be able to have people be able to buy what they want. And uh, these tyrants need to be reminded of where, where their space is every once in a while. Yeah, totally. Uh, I, we we have next Bitcoin narrative, what will drive the price of Bitcoin to a new all-time high, and we didn't even get so deeply into it. You got a couple more minutes? Yeah. A couple ideas. Yeah, so obviously we talked about RAs. I think we know about that. Arthur Hayes basically is saying that we're going to get billions uh, from TradFi. I think we largely agree with that. This is what he said. He said, Bitcoin is a global market and price discovery happens primarily on Binance. 
Uh, for the first time in a long time, the Bitcoin markets will have a predictable and long-lasting arbitrage opportunity. Hopefully, billions of dollars will fl of flow will be concentrated. I expect there to be juicy spot arbitrage opportunities available. So number one is the arbitrage opportunities. Number two, we got to at least briefly talk about the halving, whether this is going to play out the way it always does and whether we're entering this part of the four-year cycle. And then the biggest narrative that I keep hearing, obviously, is tokenizing everything, right? I mean, Binance did a whole thing on it right here. You guys should read this full year 2023 three and themes for 2024, but that the tokenization of real world assets, even Moody's talking about that, Larry Fink talking about that, that that's going to be the next thing that really drives the the next sort of narrative. What do you think of uh, any of those? Yeah, I think they're all good. I think that the tokenization is really exciting. I've been talking, I, I might've been one of the very, very first to talk about this, particularly with stocks. I think I was the that like the first. I don't know anybody who was talking about it before I was, which was a long, long time ago. And like a lot of things, I would have thought it would have happened by now. You know, it was eight years. It's been eight years uh, since Overstock released its the first legal compliant securities token uh, for a publicly traded company. It was it was issued on uh, Counterparty. I, I think Ethereum didn't even exist then. So uh, that should have been the Thing that opened the floodgates and had thousands of these assets but unfortunately regulatory slowdown was the main reason that this hasn't taken off but when you have big players like fidelity and blackrock pushing for this and the industry has come a long way since then there is a lot more tools and there's a lot more prototypes and use cases and licenses and things like that licensed entities that can deal with this i think it's inevitable because it's just a better way of, of doing things. Everything right now is digital already. You know, the, your stocks, your bonds, they're all a digital, basically a digital token that's just run on a very, very bad centralized database and is really inefficient. And that's why it takes you a week, by the way, if you want to move your account from uh, Merrill Lynch to Fidelity, that'll take you a week. And uh, there's no reason for us to, to do that. And Gen Z is not going to tolerate that you know the the people who are 20 now when they have money in in 10 years they're not going to tolerate this idea of like oh okay let's you know i can move my litecoin i can move my tokens i can move my art and my collectibles in half an hour but i've got to wait a week and a half it's just a it's just a poor system a decentralized uh permissionless database actually does work quite a bit and, I, and I've, a lot of people disagree with that. I've done a whole bunch of videos explaining exactly why. A lot of people don't understand the problem about how the how the ledgers work now. And they're very clunky and complex and this actually does solve it. So I'm, I'm bullish on that. I think that's good. I think there will be arbitrage opportunities and uh, just the overall institutional inflows is, is, a, is a big deal for sure. And uh, you know, th this asset class is here to stay, which is great news. And the last one, the halving. You've been through all of them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is this one of those, if it ain't broke, don't try to fix it, like prove me wrong situations? Uh, or has it become less uh, impactful each time as the asset becomes more mainstream and there's more people here? It becomes a little less impactful, but it still has impact. You know, it's supply and demand. One of the, the core value propositions of Bitcoin is supply and demand. It is limited in supply, unlike fiat, that's kind of unlimited. So you have this very finite number of these coins and people want one. Who doesn't want a Bitcoin? I mean, everybody wants a Bitcoin now and they're not that many of them. I mean, there's there's 60 million millionaires and there's only 21 million coins. And we can we can soft circle. We know like Winklevoss has a bunch of coins. They're not selling. Sailor has a bunch of coins. They're not selling. You know, we can we can soft circle friends of ours that have a couple thousand coins here and there or 10,000, some of the lucky ones, even 100. And uh, there's just not that many. So you're going to have a lot of people fighting for these coins. And when the supply goes down or, or when the uh, the issuance goes down by half every halving, 
you know, there's just less being produced every day because right now all these miners are working hard to get some coins. There's going to be half as many. So you have the supply versus the demand. It's just basic economics 101, very pure and simple. And you don't need a lot of crazy, weird complexity to explain it. It's just supply and demand. I think anybody should be able to, to understand that. And, uh, and that's, it, it has real meaning for sure. I wonder how many coins are lost. Quite a few. There's some trackers that are out there. I actually, uh, uh, mentioned this on Twitter. I said, somebody should track it. And somebody was inspired by my post and they say, Hey, I made this tool and they went and tracked it. And we know that there's like 2,200 coins in the counterparty wallet. And there's this person, that person who's identified. So there's quite a few that, that we know for sure are lost. And then there's quite a few we can suspect are lost. There's, there's, I think there's over a hundred thousand coins in 50 coin rewards from the earliest blocks who've never moved. So if you never, ever moved 50 and now 50 coins is real money, you know, a couple million bucks. Yeah. So those are probably lost. So there's quite a few coins that are lost and quite a few that are held. Yeah, you would have at least moved them to like a better wallet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the, the computing in 2010. They didn't even have they didn't even have uh they didn't even have password protected wallets. They didn't even have BIP38 right. back then. So you'd have literally just sitting a, an empty wallet file somewhere, a wallet.dat or a just a card. You didn't even have 12 words. There's no 12 words. You just have a a key somewhere. So, so those coins are mostly, they're either really, really, uh, risky people or, or I, but I can't imagine, I mean, who would, who would do that? Who would keep those coins at this, at the, you know, anybody's going to sweep those at this stage. So, so those are probably gone a lot, 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 maybe it's 17 million coins or something. There's not that many coins. Who knows? Before I let you go, did you see that last week somebody sent like $1.2 million worth to the Genesis wallet or to the yeah, Satoshi wallet? Satoshi's wallet? Yeah. How is that? I don't know. Somebody said they speculated they were trying to get him to dox himself with this new $10,000 IRS thing. But why would you send a million? Just spend send 10,001. And it just seems like a very strange <laughs> thing. Maybe somebody was uh, partying a little too much and didn't make a yeah. wise decision or something. One, one of those people we know with a hundred thousand plus uh, yeah. coins was people, really drunk. There's some people who do some, well, they, you know, you may, you probably remember the days when, uh, who was it? Somebody went on Reddit back maybe 2014 and they started giving like hundred, they gave over a thousand Bitcoins in tips. They were given like, and then and even back then, Bitcoin was a couple hundred bucks. Was so money. yeah, it was money. Yeah, yeah, so they, they gave like back then a million dollars worth of Bitcoin. You know, so people do crazy things, I guess. Absolutely wild, man. Bruce, thank you so much. Everybody should be following Bruce. Uh, I'm sure I'll see you very soon, maybe even today on Crypto Town Hall. I don't know. Uh, Sounds good, sir. Thank you so much for joining, man. I'll speak to you soon. Thank you. Have a good one. All right, guys. Actually, it's going to be a short show today. Wick is not here, apparently. So we're going to uh, wrap it up and head on to tomorrow. I'm not sure who tomorrow's guest is, but I can tell you that Thursday we're going to have some fireworks because we've got Max Kaiser and Stacy joining live from El Salvador. Um, probably think I'm a pretty evil shitcoiner. So Bruce was fun. Now imagine uh, Max and Stacy. So that's what we got, I know, on Thursday. And I'm imagining whatever we come up with tomorrow, it's going to be awesome. Cloud Casino saying, holy shit. Yeah, we got them both. I've had Max before. I, I wish I had the clip here uh, right now of when I interviewed him in person in Miami at Bitcoin Miami and the expletive rant that he went on about Elizabeth Warren. Uh, it, it included body parts. Uh, I think crack whore. One of the words that he used, not, uh, I would never say that out loud if it wasn't quoted from someone else. 
it's going to be fun regardless of your uh, feelings about him and you think whatever it should be very entertaining and we should get some uh, perspective. And frankly, I've never, um, I've never had Stacy on. So having both of them will be a, a lot more fun. Jeff will be skipping max two over the top. I bet you'll be here. Right. Anyways, guys, that's all I got. We will see you back here on the Moro uh, shorter than one scare Muji till you see me next. Peace. That's dope.